You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, and the ushers are in the aisles. They would love to give you a copy of God's Word. Matthew chapter 21, the title of the message is Kingdom Transfer. Kingdom Transfer. I want you to think about those words. Will you say them out loud with me? Kingdom Transfer. Think about what that means. Uh, I'd like to remind you this morning, I don't normally start with a point right off the bat, but I'm going to this morning. I want to remind you this morning that you have a mission from Jesus. What's your mission? What's the mission? Yeah, it's on the screens to reveal the true and living God to the rest of the world. In my prayer time this morning, I was just praying, oh Lord, that you would equip your church, not just the mission church here in Carlsbad, but your church you know, across the United States and across the globe, that you might equip your church to reveal you. Jesus, the true and living God to the world, that this nation might be healed from its radical decadence and immorality and be brought into the glorious liberty of healthy families living to the glory of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and it, we, it begins with us. You have a mission from Jesus, and it's incredible. Uh, think about how, uh, how awesome that is. And if you say, well, I'm not sure about that, that I have that mission. Well, may I remind you of Jesus' words to us, Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount. They're on the screen for you. Let me hear you read this one thundering voice. Let me know that you're awake and, and hungry this morning for God's word. Let's read this together. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." Uh, Jesus says, I've bought you, I've redeemed you, I've brought you to myself, and now I've filled you with my spirit, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and I want you to be a light into the world. I love that Jesus has a, min- a mission for us, right? A ministry for us. Life is more than just uh, living to, to feed our appetites. No, no, no. God has a calling on our life. And when we embrace that calling, life has tremendous purpose. Uh, Jesus uh, told us, right, go into all the world, teaching them to, making disciples, teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. And we know that wasn't just to the disciples because of this last phrase, and lo, I am with you, what, even to the end of the age. So this is our mission. This is our assignment. We have a mission from God. And it's to reveal to the world the living Savior. His name is Jesus and he's amazing. Here's my question to you this morning as we get started. How are you doing on your mission? 
Well, I go to church. No, 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 no. It's not what I asked. How are you doing on your mission? In the workplace, are you revealing Jesus to your coworkers? By the grace that you show, by the kindness that you show, by the wisdom that you show and the way you carry yourself, by the way you walk, by the way you talk, is Jesus being revealed in your life? How are you doing on your mission? Uh, we cannot do it on our own. It requires that we abide in Jesus, that we have this relationship with him. And as we are walking with him, as we are in relationship with him, he enables us to carry out that mission that he has called us to have. Uh, and again, it is awesome. Uh, here's another question for you, just to get our wheels turning this morning. And I'd, like to hear, I'd love to hear some answers from you on this out loud. Uh, this is... Uh, uh, bi-directional here. I want it both ways. How did we get our mission? How did it come to us? How was it, how was it given? Uh, how did we get this important mission? How did we get it? Let me hear from you. Anybody? The Word of God. Okay. Uh, can you tell me where? Can you tell me why? Can you tell me how? How did it come? Share the gospel. Jesus told us that in the Great Commission. How did it come to us? How did we get it? I love that the wheels are turning. I, and I, they're all great answers, really great answers. But what I want to remind us of this morning is that message was originally given to the nation Israel. How did we get it instead of them? In Matthew 21, it reveals, for, it reveals to us how this happened. Uh, we're going to see today that Jesus reveals God's plan to transfer this kingdom message and this kingdom mission that he had given Israel, he had given to the Jews, and he is going to transfer that kingdom message and that kingdom mission from the nation Israel, and he gave it to the Gentile church. Uh, and just as a little history, God chose Israel as a nation to be a witness of his existence. That's why he chose them. Uh, anybody remember when that choice happened? It happened all the way back when? Abraham, yeah. Uh, God made a covenant with Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I want you to be a witness to the world. And in 2006 B.C., Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob in 2006 BC. His name was turned into Israel. Israel had 12 sons. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. And in 2006 BC, Israel became the nation that God was going to use to reveal the true and living God to all of the world. And that was God's purpose for the nation Israel. Uh, something interesting happened. Four days before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus transferred this privileged responsibility 
of revealing the true and living God to the world, and he transferred it from Israel to who? To us, to the church. And that is how we got this assignment that we've just talked about, this mission that we're to be living on. Uh, Kingdom transfer, transferred from Israel to the Gentile church. And now for the last 2,000 years, or nearly 2,000 years, God has chosen the church as his vehicle to reveal himself to the world. Uh, I want to show you a, a, a thesis verse of our, uh, our text this morning. Um, it's in Matthew 21, 43, if you're there in Matthew 21. It's also on your screens. Let me hear you read this. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, Israel, and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Uh, This is why Jesus cursed the fig tree on Monday morning after Palm Sunday that we looked at last week, uh, or two weeks ago, when he rode in on Palm Sunday and he was weeping because Israel did not receive him. And the next morning he cursed the fig tree, symbolic of the nation Israel, and that age of grace now went upon the church. Uh, as before we jump into our text, I want to bring one more thing to your attention. Um, the fig tree, again, was a picture of who? Symbolic of who? Israel. Israel. And Jesus had foretold Israel that they were in trouble, and this was going to happen if they didn't repent. Uh, and here's the passage for you. It's in uh, Matthew, excuse me, Luke 13. Um, This is the parable of the barren fig tree. Uh, Remember, Jesus cursed the fig tree on that Monday, uh, right after Palm Sunday. This is before all that happened. Uh, Jesus was teaching. Uh, I hope this really sinks in. Uh, Read with me, if you will. He, that's Jesus, also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Uh, Stop there a second. Cut down that fig tree. Let's get rid of it, the owner of the vineyard said. It's not producing any fruit. Jesus, on the morning he cursed the fig tree, he said he was hungry, he looked for fruit, and he found none, only leaves. Had an appearance of a fig tree, but no fruit. Uh, Here, same story, I've been looking at at this fig tree, uh, cut it down, why does it use up ground? And let's look what 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 the vine dresser said. He answered and he said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. Very interesting. Jesus speaking to the religious nation Israel, and he's saying there's no fruit. And the owner of the tree is saying, chop it down. But I said, no, 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 for three years, let me just nurture it, let me fertilize it, let me water it, let me tend to it, and if it doesn't bear fruit, then, then well. How long was Jesus' ministry, by the way? Three 
three years. And the fig tree was who? Israel. And uh, so the fig tree gets, gets chopped down, if you will, gets cursed. Uh, and that is the parable of the fig tree. And that's right where we pick up our story now. In Matthew 21, uh, Jesus has cursed the fig tree. We're picking it up in verse 23. If you're there, give me a big amen. Uh, is all that connecting? Is all that making sense? Uh, and we're looking at how the kingdom transferred from the nation Israel to the Gentile church. Uh, verse 23. Now when he, Jesus, came into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people confronted, confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority... Are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Uh, great question. Uh, the religious leaders were pretty baffled by the whole thing. Jesus has cursed the fig tree. After he curses the fig tree, he goes straight to the temple mount, straight from cursing the fig tree. This is all on Monday morning. Curses the fig tree, goes straight to the temple mount. And what does he do when he gets to the temple mount? He drives out all the money changers, all those, we talked about this, all those who are selling, you know, oh no, your lamb's not good enough, but you can buy one of our, our temple lambs and, and uh, you can offer this as an offering and they would gouge for it. They were making money. Uh, you, you would be traveling to Jerusalem and, and maybe you couldn't bring a lamb that far so you could buy a, a lamb when you got there. And uh, of course they sold them and they sold them for a premium and they were gouging the people. Uh, and then not only that, you couldn't use your regular currency. You had to exchange it for temple currency. And when you exchanged your dollars for temple currency, guess what they would do again? Yeah, a little more, skimming, skimming off the top. And Jesus comes in, and he is torqued. And he said, you have made my house, he calls it, a den of thieves. And he goes in there, and he overturns these giant stone, thick stone tables. Jesus had to be buff. I mean, he overturns these big tables. And he gets a whip, and he starts driving out with a whip. Loving, tender Jesus, right? With a whip, he starts driving out all these false religious leaders who are making merchandise of the people of God. A pastor, by the way, ought to feed the people, not fleece the people. That is God's heart for pastors, that they would feed the people and give the people, not take from the people. And uh, the, the religious Israel had, had it turn around. Now, I want you to consider how mind-boggling it would be for Jesus to come in and do this. We don't really have a concept of the Temple Mount, but imagine uh, a Temple Mount being uh, the length of Carlsbad Village Drive from here to the 101. That's about the length of the Temple Mount. It's not this little tiny area. It's a big area. And on top of it... Uh, there were thousands, tens of thousands of people. Josephus tells us that on that Passover, there were between two and three million people coming to worship and, and to serve, I mean, to give their offerings at Passover, uh, to worship God and to see Jesus. So uh, imagine the, uh, 
the Chicago Bulls at the United Center. Imagine a stadium full. Uh, put that picture up for me. Imagine this. And you single-handedly as one man walk onto that court and you drive out all the players, you overturn all their benches, you start whipping up on the referees, and you drive the place out, what would happen? One guy did that. He would be arrested like this. And that's just at a stadium. That is one one-hundredth of what the Temple Mount was, the most sacred ground on planet Earth. And one man single-handedly drives out all the money changers and the religious leaders come to him and they go like, after he's now later teaching, they're like, how do you do all these things? What authority do you do this with? And they are baffled. Uh, they are, you know, just uh, amazed that all this is happening. And look what Jesus answers. Verse 24. Jesus answered and said to them, I will also ask you one thing. Which, if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. Interesting. Jesus always steering the ship, right? Uh, by what authority do you do this? Well, I got a question for you guys. Uh, here's the question. Verse 25. The baptism of John, John the Baptist. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven? Or from men. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say it was from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? So Jesus asked them a question. They say, Hey, can we have a minute with that question? And they huddle up as their little religious leaders, you know, and they're like, Well, we're in a jam. If we say John the Baptist was from heaven, John the Baptist, who did, he, who did he prophesy about? Who was his messages all about? Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah and he was at hand. And they say, man, if we say he was from God, we're in big trouble because John preached about him and he's going to say, well, then why didn't you believe him? So they're in a dilemma, right? Uh, verse 27. But, excuse me, verse 26. But if we say... He wasn't from God. He was just a knucklehead from men. We fear the multitude for all the people count John as a prophet. What do we do? We are in a dilemma. If we say he was from God, then he's going to say, why didn't you believe him? He called me. He said I was the Messiah. If we say he was from men, the people will riot and they'll, they'll get mad at us and they'll, they'll not like us. So verse 27, so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. And he said to them, then neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love Jesus. Oh my gosh. So much wisdom. So much wisdom. And here's some application for you and I. Here's some good application for us to hold on to in daily life. Jesus knew that debating these religious leaders was a what? A waste of time. And so he didn't do it. So Jesus refrains. And even though he knew he was right, and even though he knew he could win the argument, 
He chooses instead not to engage in a foolish dispute. Very, very wise. It is wise not to engage. It is wise to avoid foolish disputes. Uh, that just do absolutely no good. Jesus told us, Jesus taught us, do not cast your pearls before what? Swine. swine. You know this. You all said swine. You all know this. Don't cast your pearls before swine. What does that mean? Is Jesus calling some people pigs? No, no, no. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, there are some things that are valuable that you shouldn't cast before people who don't value them. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine because if you do, the pigs will come and they'll trample your precious pearls, your valuable pearls, your pearls that are worth so much, they'll trample them and tear them up and smash them into the mud and then you know what they'll do, Jesus said? Then they'll turn and they'll tear you to pieces as well. You ever experience it? I have. And here we see Jesus refraining, not casting his pearls before swine. Giving valuable truths to people who do not want them is just not wise. And Jesus says, don't do it. Now, in order to be able to do this, it requires a couple of things, doesn't it? It requires great wisdom and insight about other people. It requires that I would be focused on someone else, not just focused on what? Myself. Actually, who am I talking to? And where are they at? Are they at a spot where they can receive this? Would it be valuable to them? Uh, it requires having some wisdom about and insight about people. Uh, I don't know about you, but my flesh often struggles with this concept of not ca casting pearls before swine. I often think... If I could just reason with them, and I could just talk with them, we could come to a mutual understanding. We could see uh, what, is, what, you know, what is truth and what is God's will on this thing. And, and then we would all be able to come together and unite and agree, and we, together we could fix the problem. Uh, but does that always happen? No, some people don't really care about God's truth and what's right. And, and this works great if both parties are seeking and valuing God's will. It gives great results. But many times I'm just wasting my breath and my emotional strength. And here Jesus, we see he doesn't do that. Very wise, very wise. In addition to wisdom, not casting pearls before swine also requires something else. It requires great discipline. Wisdom and discipline. Say it with me. Wisdom and discipline. Wisdom, I have to know the other person. Are they able to receive these valuable truths or not? Discipline, well, I find that in my flesh, sometimes I argue things that shouldn't be argued just because I want to win the argument, just because I want to be right. Thank you, Gene. You're right. Uh, uh, we do that, right? 
Uh, we argue just because we want to be right, and it's, it's not smart. Uh, there's a momentary satisfaction that comes from winning an argument and being right, but what does that do for the relationship? Oh, it's really good for it, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't build. And so uh, Jesus shows us a lot of wisdom here. Uh, now, uh, Jesus is going to, uh, he doesn't really go into that with them, but he does go into some teaching with them. Uh, he knows that right now, if he argued the authority, it would be of no value, but he wants to give them some instruction. And so Jesus, just like the parable we read of the barren fig tree, and Jesus said, let me nurture it, let me fertilize it, let me try to water it and get it going. And how did Jesus do that, by the way? He taught Israel. He taught them and he blessed them and he taught them and he blessed them. He was patient with them, hoping that they would receive the, the, the nourishment he was giving and they would bear fruit. But they didn't. And now the fig tree has been cursed and now Jesus is going to give three parables. We're only going to look at two of them today. Three parables to help uh, us as a church and Israel understand this kingdom transfer. The first parable is in verse 28. It's the parable of two sons. Uh, the parable of two sons. Uh, say that with me. The parable of two sons. Uh, two very different sons. Let's take a look. Verse 28. But what do you think? The you, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders of Israel. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first son and he said to him, go work today in my vineyard. I need you to mow the lawn. I need you to trim the vines. I need you to pull some weeds. I need you to dig out some rocks. Go work today in my vineyard. Verse 29. So he answered and said, I will not. The son said, dad, I, I don't want to work in the vineyard today. I want to go surfing. I want to go to Rubio's. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to fish taco. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. He went surfing, and he goes, oh, you know what? My dad is so good to me, and I shouldn't have told him no. And he repented, and he went and worked in the vineyard. He mowed the lawn. He pulled the weeds, all that kind of stuff. Verse 31. Excuse me. Verse, uh, where are we? Verse 30. Then he came to the second son, and he said, likewise, go work in my vineyard. And he answered and said, yes, sir. You got it, dad. I'm in. Dad, you're such a good dad. I'll go work in the yard. Yes, absolutely. But look what happened. Dad said, hey, thanks so much. And dad leaves and what happens? But he did not go. It was just lip service. It was just praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. God is good all the time. All the time. God's, yeah, just lip service. And he doesn't go and actually do the will of the Father. Verse 31, Jesus asked the religious leaders this question. Which of the two sons did the will of the Father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, that tax collectors, uh, they, were, they were the hoodlums of that day, Right? They were the thugs of that day. Thugs, in other words. Tax collectors, thugs. Harlots. You know what a harlot is. 
uh, enter the kingdom of God before you. Who's the you? Israel's religious leaders. Thugs and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of heaven before you, the religious leaders. Verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. Jesus now answers the question earlier. John was sent by God. John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness, preaching that the Messiah was coming and that you better repent, you better get ready. And you did not believe him. But tax collectors, prostitutes, harlots believed. And when you saw it, you saw the harlots being saved. You saw the drug addicts being saved. You saw the alcoholics being saved. You saw the tax collectors getting saved. You did not afterward relent and believe. You're so stubborn. You see God moving and it doesn't even touch your heart. You saw God moving and instead of joining that work, you got jealous and you tried to establish your own kingdom. It's interesting how God sent John the Baptist. John couldn't, excuse me, God couldn't even use the pastors of his day when he wanted to bring a message. They were too corrupt. Isn't that amazing? I look at the church today, and do you know what I see happening? There are a lot of false teachers in the church. And they're not building God's vineyard. Whose vineyard are they building? Yeah, it seems like they're building their own. Uh, I need more money. Oh, my mask. Uh, need more money so I can get my Learjet and my big house crazy stuff going on and when God wanted to send a message to the world he could not even use Israel the religious leaders and he goes and he calls a man John the Baptist and where did John the Baptist preach in the wilderness couldn't even use the temple they were so polluted and John goes and preaches in the wilderness, out in the hills, in the open air. And the result is, who heard John? All nations heard John. The Jews heard John, but so did the Greeks and the Romans. And all the, the nations, uh, they all heard, all the Gentile nations, they all heard the preaching of John the Baptist. And when the sinful Gentiles... When the sinful Gentiles who were all about money and sex and rock and roll and, and alcohol and drugs and all the things of the world, when they heard the message of John preaching in the, in the wilderness that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming and to repent, uh, they, uh, they did. They, they believed. And tax collectors and prostitutes and Roman soldiers and drug addicts heard the message, they believed, and God changed their lives. And it was powerful. And God empowered uh, these tax collectors and prostitutes to live a brand new life, being led by his spirit all to the glory of God, being a witness to the whole world, uh, uh, to, to turn from sin and to live for, for God. And it was amazing. And uh, uh, this is God's work. This is why he called Israel in the first place. And this message went out to the Gentiles and they were believing 
and Israel themselves was not. By the way, a little sidebar. Uh, they all got saved, right? All the Gentiles did. And may I remind you, if you are a lover of social justice, may I remind you that all through the scripture we see heaven is a very, very diverse place with all kinds of ethnicities, right? It's just a place where all the nations will be gathered together to worship God. God loves all people. Uh, that's, uh, you know, maybe so obvious, but uh, uh, may we not forget. As a matter of fact, I have a verse for us just to remind us of this important truth of what heaven's going to be like. Revelation 5.9. Let me hear you ring, read this. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation. Where is this song being sung? In heaven. And who are they worshiping and praising? It's Jesus. Look at this. You, Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. There's only one person who ever did that. Who is that? Jesus, and he redeemed us out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, all in heaven, world without end, right? Yeah, just amen. I just, uh, this is what, uh, this is God's will. By the way, Jesus is going to come back with all these people singing the song, and he is going to establish his kingdom on the earth, and every tribe Every tongue will all be worshipers of the true and living God. Uh, uh, love the diversity in God's creation, in uh, nature and in men. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, but back to our, our passage. When the religious, of, uh, religious uh, leaders of Israel heard John the Baptist preaching, they didn't believe him. The, the, the Gentile nations did, and they didn't. Uh, it, his message didn't move them. And they were unchanged. They just were content with their vain religion. Uh, uh, they did not allow God's word to penetrate their heart and to change their lives. They were just content with their religious activity. It is a problem when the people that God has called to change the world get content with religious activity. When we just do it by rote. It's Sunday. What are we doing this morning? Oh, we're going to church. And if Dave would ever quit talking so long, we'll go to lunch right after church. <laughs> and church is just, just something we do. Just a religious activity. Can I remind us of this super important truth? Religious activity that doesn't bring us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is worthless. It's worthless. Read this again for me on your screens. I want it to be written on our hearts. Read it with me if you will. Religion. No, 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 no. Religious activity that does not bring us closer to the Jesus Lordship is worthless. 
We might attend even the mission church five nights a week. We might be a mission group leader. We might be an associate pastor. We might be a worship leader. We might be a senior pastor. And if we attend five nights a week at the mission church, but it doesn't bring us to the lordship of Jesus, it is what? Worthless. Lordship of Jesus? Yeah, does it actually change the way I treat my neighbor? Does it actually affect how generous I am to others? Does it actually affect how merciful and, and, and that I show people grace? Does it actually affect my discernment and my worldview? Does it change the way I vote and I build my neighborhood? I build my church I build my community. I build my nation. Does it change the way I live? Does it change the movies that I watch? The songs that I listen to? The words that come out of my mouth? Are they all under the lordship of Jesus Christ? Any religious activity that doesn't produce this in my life is worthless. Lisa and I were watching a series on Netflix, and it started off pretty innocent. And by the time we got a few of the things, you know, the few of the shows in, I realized this just isn't good. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't, you know, nudity and that kind of stuff. It wasn't that. It was just, just not wholesome, not edifying. And we finished a show, and I just, I just felt convicted. And I said, baby, you know what? Let's stop watching this show. Uh, I don't do that just to look at me, aren't I spiritual? No, I, I don't mean that at all. But I am trying to model something that should be happening in our lives. What happened? That Netflix show was brought under what? The Lordship of Jesus Christ. My TV viewing needs to be brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The way I go to work in the morning needs to be brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The way I do my shopping needs to be brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And any religious activity that doesn't do that is a waste of time. Uh, let's go back now to the religious leaders hearing John the Baptist's message. They heard this guy, he's their prophet. There's a guy speaking. There's tons of people coming. Let's go see. They went and heard John the Baptist's message. And what did that religious activity do in their life? Nothing. It did nothing. What did they do when they heard the teaching of John the Baptist? What did they do? Let me hear from you. What did they do? Good answers you're, you're giving. Yell out some more. What did they do? Do you know what they did? They listened, they heard it, but it didn't go in their hearts. And the reason it didn't is because instead of hearing the message, they judged the message. They judged the message. They weren't hearers of the word, they were judges of the word. And in order to be a judge of a word, you have to be self-righteous. 
I want you to know the purpose of a sermon is not to be judged, but the purpose of a sermon is to judge us. It's to make us line up our lives with what God's will is. And they, their religious activity, they came in as judges of, well, it was okay, but you know, he's not right on this, and he's not right on this. And, he's, and if that spirit enters into you, be careful. Uh, you're, you're not alone, by the way. There's not one of us here who haven't done it. There's not one of us here who haven't done it. And what a waste of time to judge how good or bad a message is. Can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ at the end of your life and Jesus says, wow, I see that you went to church X amount of times. And I see that you judged X amount of sermons. Will there be any reward for that? Will that be found honorable to him? Uh, the answer is a glaring no, no. And so we get instruction from God's word about how we're to prepare our hearts when we come to church. We're to prepare our hearts, we're to come, and we're to wake up, and we're to prepare ourselves even the night before, uh, the day before, and say, Lord, man, I want to wake up. I want to sanctify this day, the first day of the week. Lord, I want to put you, worship you as the first day of the week. I want to be the first one in there when they start singing songs, Lord, because I want you to receive my offering. I want to prepare my heart to hear from your word, Lord. I want to be a hearer of your word, uh, not, a, uh, not just one who it just goes in one ear and out the other. I want to be a doer of your word. I want, to, I want it to change my life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, there's a great verse. I love this verse. I've committed it to memory. Uh, let me, let me uh, hear you read it with me on the screen. Uh, Walk prudently when you go to the house of the Lord and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. What is the sacrifice of fools, by the way? What is that? Nobody? Here's what it is. It's lip service. God says, don't give me lip service. Don't come in and judge the sermon as you've just sang, you're all I need, you're all I've ever wanted. Don't come in and judge your neighbor, your fellow Christian. Look at her. She's got that dress. She thinks she's so hot. You shouldn't come to church dressed like that. Don't do that, he says. You're giving a sacrifice of fools. Instead, prepare your heart and come in to the house of God and draw near to what? To hear. To hear from who? From Jesus. To hear from God. Uh, so important. Uh, let's go on. Let's read the rest of the verse. Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Great instruction when you enter into the house of the Lord. Right? Come to worship. Come to hear. Come to learn. Uh, what would happen if we prepared our hearts that way? By the way, why do we gather every Sunday? What is the point? Why do we gather every Sunday? What is the purpose of all this religious activity? Why do we gather every Sunday? What, what's, what, what are we here for? 
to bring us to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Brittany, that was excellent. Awesome. Uh, here's some things just as a reminder of why we gather every Sunday. First and foremost, we gather to worship Jesus. We gather to grow closer to Jesus. We gather to submit to Jesus' lordship. And we gather to love God's people. These are the reasons that we gather. And any religious activity that doesn't do this is worthless. This is why we're here. And this is why we spend so much time studying the Bible. That we might know Jesus so that we can worship him. That we might grow closer to Jesus. That we might submit to his lordship in our life. And that we might go out into the world loving his people. Being his hands and his feet. Being generous and gracious and loving. And, and, uh, and you are, by the way, church. I am so proud of you. Uh, I love we're doing this Tijuana drive, and just you guys just bring all kinds of stuff. Uh, when it comes to serving God, so you just show up in droves. I mean, you're amazing. I love this about you. Uh, you're a healthy church, and I'm so proud of you. And I just uh, I can't believe I get to be your pastor. Uh, and so this is the purpose. This is why uh, why God called Israel to Himself, and this is. Uh, uh, why God called the church to himself. But a problem happened. The religious Jews uh, and the religious leaders, they were no longer worshipers, but judges. And as a result, they never experienced a real and meaningful relationship with their creator. And as a result, their lives weren't transformed from the inside out. As a result, God wasn't leading, guiding, and directing them. And they are the sons that said, Yes, Father, I'll do the work. And then what? Never did it. And the Gentiles, the one that said, Hey, I want to go out partying. I want to go out sleeping around. I want to get high. I want to make lots of money. I want to get a big house. They're the ones who said, I'm not going to do that. But then they heard and they repented and they came to God and they got saved. And they were the son that said, Yes, I want to do God's will. And so the kingdom was transferred from Israel to prostitutes, from Israel to Gentiles, in all of our filth and all of our mess, and God now has the church as the vehicle that he wants to bring the light of the world to. He's going to tell another parable now, the second one. It's the parable of the vineyard. And um, this will be our last parable for today, and then uh, we'll pick, the, pick up the, the, the third one next time. Uh, verse 33. Uh, are you tracking with me? Yes. Do you know the subject? The subject is this kingdom transferring. Now Jesus is going to give us another parable. Again, a parable is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. To give us an understanding of what God's doing in his kingdom. So he gives us another story. The first one is of two sons. This one is of a vineyard. Verse 33. Uh, here another parable to teach you about this kingdom transfer. Here, another parable. There was a certain landowner. Uh, the landowner is God, okay? And uh, he planted a vineyard, and the vineyard is Israel. And he set a hedge around it, divine protection uh, all around his, his vineyard. Uh, by the way, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, if you are walking in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, guess what you have around you? You have a hedge of protection all around you. He put a hedge all around it. And he dug a wine press in it. 
a wine press. What is a wine press for? Well, it's to make wine. Uh, okay, well, that's called productivity. It's to produce the fruit of the Spirit and to give it out to others, right? The, 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 to, to give it out to the other nations, right? That's the purpose of the church. He put a wine press in it that it might be productive. And look at this. And he built a tower, a watchtower. Uh, a watchtower. What was a watchtower for? Protection. Protection. Uh, uh, you put soldiers up in the watchtower and they would see the enemy coming and they would sound the alarm to warn all the people. He put a tower in there to protect all, and to, uh, you know, protect all the people. By the way, who was in the watchtower? I know normally soldiers would go in the watchtower, but in God's kingdom, uh, who was in the watchtower? Prophets, priests, and kings to warn the people of the enemy coming. Uh, what we need today is pastors and Bible teachers and you to be warning the people of the direction the world is going, sounding the alarm so that we stay on God's path and the enemy doesn't come, right? Um, so anyway, he built a tower uh, and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Who were the vine dressers? Israel, right. Uh, I wish we had time to read there. I wanted to take you back there. Um, oh, I'm so tempted. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't think we have time. Uh, but read Isaiah chapter 5. This parable comes from Isaiah chapter 5, written 700 years before Jesus. Jesus is just quoting from Isaiah chapter 5. And every religious leader would know as soon as he read this verse, as soon as he said this verse that we just, we just read, oh, he's talking about Isaiah chapter 5. They would know for sure. Um, verse 34. Now, when vintage time drew near, the time when there should be grapes, the springtime, when vintage time drew near, he, God, sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took God's servants, they beat one, they killed one, and they stoned another. Who are the vine dressers? Israel. They get off track. And so God has a watchtower, and he sends them the warning from the watchtower. Who were they? They were the prophets. He sends them Isaiah. Guess what they did to Isaiah? They cut him in half with a saw. Literally. The prophet Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets ever. Your book in the Isaiah, in the Bible, Isaiah 53, you know. Guess what they did to that dude? They cut him in half with a saw. Jeremiah. What did they do to Jeremiah? They stoned him with stones. Uh, here's, that's what Jesus is saying. The vine dresser uh, took God's, uh, God's servants and they beat one, they killed one, and they stoned another. So what does God do? Verse 36. Again, he, God, sent other servants more than the first. Well, they... 
saw, cut Isaiah in two. Jeremiah they stoned, so he sends them Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, etc. Right? On and on and on. Sends them all these prophets. And look what happens. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. They persecuted them and killed them. Verse 37. Then last of all, he, God said, I will send my son to them, saying, surely they will respect my son. Amazing grace of God. Trying to fertilize the barren fig tree for three years. Trying to nurture it. Surely they will respect my son. Look at verse 38. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir of the kingdom. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Wow. Who was the son? Jesus. And they saw, they were jealous of Jesus. The religious leaders did not kill Jesus because he was sinful or because he was unjust, but because he threatened their Jewish religious system because they threatened, he threatened their fame and their power. He was a threat to their love for money, their love for power, and their love for prominence among God's people. And that is the reason they, kill, they killed him. Uh, look at verse 39. So they took the son and they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Here Jesus is foretelling his own crucifixion. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Now, who's Jesus talking to? To the religious leaders. And guess what the religious leaders are going to do? They're going to answer Jesus' question and they're going to indict themselves right here. Look at this, verse 41. Then they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and he will lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. Wow. Wow. He will destroy those wicked men? It happened. A.D. 70. Millions of Jews murdered. Scattered throughout the entire world. Jerusalem overthrown. Jews scattered to the whole world. Been scattered from A.D. 70 until when? 1948, nearly 2,000 years, and now God is beginning again to regather his people back into the land, uh, which is very telling. Uh, and so we see this happen verbatim, and this is why Jesus wept on Palm Sunday. Uh, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? And he quotes from Psalm 118, look what he says. The stone which the builders rejected, who were the builders? the religious leaders of Israel. The stone which the religious leaders of Israel rejected, who's the stone? Jesus. The stone which the religious leaders of Israel, the builders, have rejected, Jesus, has become the chief 
cornerstone. Or in other words, the foundation stone of all things. You can't build anything unless it's built on that stone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Wow. Wow. The stone which the builders rejected. They did not want God's plan of redemption. They did not want a Savior who would die for their sins because they thought they were already righteous. They didn't see themselves as sinners. Big mistake. And he has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes how marvelous it is. Therefore I say to you, Israel, the kingdom of God will be taken from you, Israel, and be given to a nation bearing fruits of it. This is the main point. By the word, the word, the word nation there in the Greek, guess what word it is? Uh, this word. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a ethnos. Where we get our word, what? Ethnicity. It'll be given to all the ethnos. Uh, black, brown, all the colors of the, you know, all of us, right? Why all of us? Be given to the eth ethnos. It'll be given to a nation bearing fruits of it. What fruits does he want? The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, self-control, and on and on it goes, right? Uh, the fruits of the Spirit. These are the fruits that he's looking for in our lives. And look what he says, verse 44. Whoever falls on this stone, which stone is he talking about? This foundation stone, Jesus Christ, will be what? broken but whoever it falls on it will grind him to powder wow you have two choices you come to Jesus as a broken sinner saying I need to be saved and he will save you and heal you and restore you and fill you with the spirit and lead guide and direct you all the days of your life so that your life bears incredible fruit or you think you're just fine all on your own and that stone will do what? Grind you to powder. God the Father has given all things to God the Son. Both salvation, grace and mercy and wrath and judgment. Verse 45 now when the chief priests and the Pharisees, all of the religious leaders, when they heard his parable, they perceived he was speaking of them. Well, you're pretty perceptive. <laughs> and I wish the next verse said, and they repented. But it doesn't. They heard he was speaking about them, and guess what they did with the message they heard? They judged it. I love it when people are in church and instead of saying, oh, Ed really needs to hear this message. Oh, Sarah really needs to hear this message. They say, oh, Lord, I really need to live out that message. Verse 
Verse 46, they heard this, they knew he was speaking of them, and so they sought to lay hands on him, they sought to kill him. But they feared the multitudes because they took for him a, they took him for a prophet, so they waited for a more opportune time. By the way, what are they doing in this in the story? When they say they, they went to seize him, uh, what's happening right here? Do you see what's happening? Look at verse 38 in the in the parable. When the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They did the very thing they were just taught. They couldn't hear it because they were judging it. Oh, the folly of religion that doesn't bring me into the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so the kingdom has been transferred to us. And what an amazing privilege we've been given. What's in your hand? God wants to use it. You see, God has given each of you gifts, each of you talents, each of you abilities. And he says, hey, I gave you that amazing charisma. I gave you that beautiful smile. I gave you that incredible mind. I gave you that discernment. I gave you that amazing personality, Tom, that you might go into all the world and join me in the work of bringing the good news of my love and my grace and my mercy, my wisdom and discernment into all the people. Now take what I have given you and build my kingdom with me. This is our assignment. It's why we're called the Mission Church, and it is to the praise and glory of God, and there is no better life to live. And when we live it, the things of this world will go just pale and dull, in contrast to the calling that he has on us. This amazing passage reveals Jesus' heart, his love for his people, his grace, his power, that he will save and heal all the sinners that come to him, but it also reveals his power and wrath upon those who reject his work on the cross because they think they're just fine on their own. And so may we uh, take it to heart and may we fall on our faces before him. Israel fell from grace and received Jesus' judgment because of unbelief and self-righteousness. And the Gentile perverted people uh, received Jesus' grace, mercy, and healing power because they believed that he came to die on a cross and to save us for our sins. Just amazing. Um, so that's the kingdom transfer. I'll leave you with one last thought. What is going to ultimately happen to the church? What happened to Israel? Well, they were the ones, the, the, the vehicle that God was using to bring his grace and mercy to the whole world, and they got put on a shelf. What's going to happen to the church? Two things. Number one, the first thing that's going to happen, according to the Bible, is that the church is going to fall into what? apostasy. Apostasy means a falling away from real faith and a bringing forward of just fake faith, right? Like not, not the real Jesus. The, the church is going to become apostate. They're not going to worship the real Jesus. They're going to make up their own Jesus. And it's already happened. Uh, here's what the scripture says about it. Second Timothy 
um, chapter 4, verse 3. Let me hear you read this. Last verse of the day. Uh, For the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and they will chase after myths. Here's the myth. God wants you to be rich and prosperous. Name it and claim it. You're the amazing one. God is your servant. Now go tell them what to do. And people love it because they have itching ears. Uh, What will ultimately happen to the church? Well, a big portion of the church is going to fall into apostasy. You know what's going to happen to the rest of the church? It's going to be raptured. The faithful church, the remnant. Jesus says, I will keep you to the very end. And even the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He's going to have a faithful church. And he is going to finish the assignment. There's going to be a day uh, that where uh, God calls us to himself uh, just by saying, hey, church is done. Come on up here. And the church is going to be raptured. And that day is coming soon and very soon. I told you that was the last verse. I was wrong. One more verse. Uh, <laughs> Romans 11 on your screens. Uh, I love this verse. Great memory verse. Blindness has happened to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then all Israel will be saved. You see, God still loves Israel. God has a covenant with Abraham that's an unconditional covenant. He's going to restore them, but it's going to happen after the church age. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's the day that God has already set, and it's the fullness of the Gentiles. Maybe it's a number of Gentiles, and you're the last one that needs to get saved. And when God saves you, the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, this blindness is going to be removed from Israel. This spiritual blindness is going to be removed from Israel. And then all Israel will be saved. Let's look at the rest of the rest. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. Who's the, who's the deliverer, by the way? Jesus. He's going to turn away the ungodliness of Israel. For this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. And if you read further in Romans, it would say, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God still has a plan for the nation Israel. And so right now there's been a kingdom transfer. The the kingdom has gone from Israel to the church. The church age is going to come to a close and God is going to put his grace back on Israel and Israel's going to see, get saved and be restored. It's the seven year tribulation period. It's the end of all human history as we know it. And then Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign for a thousand years on the earth, world without end. Amen. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.